Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit mentioned your if, if you don't want to answer this that's cool but you mentioned an nde earlier i'd be very interested to hear about that but if you don't want to that's cool too oh no yeah, it's cool um it's it's not the most amazing story but it's just something interesting um when i was like 18 i was um you know into the the anarchist squatter punk culture and um i was mixing it up with some some squatter folks and some activists and stuff like that so um, I'd gone traveling for the summer and it was kind of this just in terms of my personal story at the time, it was like the, I dropped out of school and just decided to go for it and travel the country and, and be a bum and just explore and stuff like that. So it was this pinnacle of my youth and a lot of youthful energy. And uh, while I was out there on the road, I'd had this really interesting illness for like four years before we went traveling. And um, it's very interesting. It's a very shamanic kind of thing that would happen I would basically seasonally once every couple months I would get really really sick and um I'd wake up and have this twisting pain in my gut uh really strong pain it would cause me to throw up all day um I couldn't hold down water I'd get completely dehydrated um my body would just clear out entirely and then the pain would get so intense that I would start having visions and stuff um I had some really crazy hellish visions a couple of times some very weird kind of out of body, like wavy 
experiences too. Um, but they're, they're hard to kind of remember just because there was so much, it was like an illness thing, you know. I'd go to the doctor all the time. They never figured out what it was. The best they could tell me was that it might be this thing called cyclic vomiting syndrome, which they uh, explained are kind of like migraines of the abdomen that are related to stress. And I was definitely at a stressful point in my life. I was definitely like, uh, I was I, I messed with a bunch of really crazy over-the-counter drugs for about six months, uh, like Robitussin and uh, Dramamine and all a whole bunch of crazy stuff that really messed my head up. So, but the illness was uh, happening for years before I started messing with that over-the-counter stuff too. But um, anyway, so we went traveling, and uh, I had a feeling that we were, while we were on our summer trip that I was probably going to have one of those episodes and that it was going to be weird because it was the first time I was on the road. Um, and at the end of our trip, it happened when we were in Philadelphia. We were sleeping in a park, started getting really sick, and I just knew we had to get to the hospital. So um, I got there, and they performed like you know an emergency appendectomy um, because it was like at the point where my appendix was going to burst and cause all kinds of trouble. So um, there was a bunch of crazy synchronicities in our travels that led us to that particular situation where I was at the hospital because I was supposed to be camping on miles on top of this mountain in uh, Portland. And uh, the kids who we were camping with lost their IDs. So we split with them and decided we were going to take a bus back to Philadelphia for this music festival thing. So... <coughs> I was supposed to be on a mountain, but because these kids lost their ID, I ended up on a bus that led me to Philadelphia, that led me to the hospital. So to me, there and there was a whole bunch of other crazy synchronicity on the trip that led to just the way everything happened. So um, for me, it was just this really powerful thing where after I woke up from that emergency surgery, I was just a completely different person. Up until that point, I had no real like spiritual kind of sense about things. I was very uh, critical of, of everything in the world. Um, I had a very dystopian, uh, pessimistic outlook on reality and just kind of an unhealthy kind of perspective on things. I hadn't quite gotten in touch with nature and uh, peace and stuff like that, you know. So, um, so yeah, so when I woke up from that surgery, I was just a completely different person. I just had this this new drive to like realized what life was all about. And I realized that uh, the synchronicities that led me to that hospital and that situation were just like way too meaningful. And it was all telling me that, you know, that that road lifestyle wasn't quite for me either, that there was something drawing me back to my, my roots and stuff. So that after that surgery, I kind of just gave up on my, my uh, squatter dreams <laughs> and kind of settled in. And what I settled into was just, you know, trying to get a deeper understanding of what the human experience was about, what this kind of meaningful interpretation that I was having with uh, these synchronicities was about and stuff. So that's what sent me down this whole rabbit hole was that um, was just waking up on that, that, that trip squatting was just like, holy shit, something's going on. I got to figure it out. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, nothing, nothing too exciting, but it, it was just uh, definitely um, pivotal, you know, so. Yeah, it's it's the the context for how you're how you're uh, currently oriented, huh? It's these yeah. these events, not just the events themselves, but the way that you inevitably ended up responding energetically to what the challenges that life was giving you kind of directed you towards something to make your peace or reconcile or process, I guess. Yeah, and and the the beautiful thing that I found further down the line was that as I was discovering like 
some of the spiritual schools of thought and the, the concepts and, and things there, I realized that that the revolution that I was so invested in on a social and cultural cultural level was also something that was happening on a spiritual level, and and I became like really identified with this idea that this kind of goddess current is returning and, and balancing out this patriarchal period, you know. So a lot of my anarchist background was aligned with some of the esoteric understandings of where we're moving through the current age, you know, aeonic processions and stuff like that. So, yeah, so I'm still very much like the same radical that I was before I had that synchronistic kind of awakening. But for me, it's, yeah, now now I'm kind of always acknowledging that, that pattern uh, that I see, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's not, you know, not any one thing, but. Well, I'm guessing you're, maybe you're aware, maybe you're not, but you probably are. It's just like, you know, the archetypal shamanic story is, well, not all of them, but oftentimes they'll be, you know, surgery will be performed on them. They'll have some, something taken out, something put it in, usually by entities, but in your case, it was a real world correlative experience. But in the same sense, even leading up to that, you had a, some sort of sickness leading up to that. And again, shamans, typically there's some sort of sickness in their past or illness in childhood or adolescence or all along the way. And so just in terms of basic uh, shamanic trajectory, you, you fit the bill pretty damn well. And, uh, so I guess it's only convenient that you'd be drawn to this other stuff. But as far as synchronicity goes, I mean, obviously it's like, okay, well, life is worth living. There's more to it than that. What's it point you towards? Is it really just how do I live as creatively as I can? Do you have to accomplish some grand goal? I mean, what is it to you? I guess for me personally, the synchronicity stuff is just like, it's part of the ongoing realization of, um, who we are, you know, or who I am, you know, so I feel like sync just kind of teaches me more and more or shows me more and more like how, who I am and what I am is, um, connected to this, like, you know, vast, uh, larger, um, intelligent, um, process that's unfurling, you know, so my, through exploring synchronicity, I think I explore, uh, I deepen my understanding of who and what I am and, and thereafter um, what I want to bring into the world and, um, and what bringing things into the world means and stuff, I guess too, you know, whether it's just uh, the amount of love and joy you bring into the world every day and acknowledging how much um, power that, that has on a, on a quantum synchronistic kind of level, you know? So, yeah, I think, I think sync shows me that, you know, we, we create our own myth of who we are and, it can also help reveal to us the, the own myth of, of who we are. So for me, it's just this kind of thing where it's, uh, I just get drawn deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole of, um, understanding the things that like turn me on, I guess, you know, and like, not, not in like a weird way, but in a, uh, the things that make that excite me, uh, make me curious, draw me, you know, into, uh, uh, deeper mystery and stuff, you know? So, I don't think there's any grand like outcome for what sync is, but I think it um it's important for like to me for like just a kind of self knowledge and self exploration. Well, are you a, like of the McKenna school where he thinks we're moving collectively towards some omega point? Is this purely some kind of Gnostic individual journey through different levels of the super system? Is it neither? Do you not know? Well, we don't know. None of us know. But what do you think? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that's tough. I don't know. I mean, um, I guess my real thought is that, you know, there really just is this, this eternal moment that we're all in. And, uh, as far as my like five senses have shown me and can tell me this is what's up, you know, so this is what I work with. Uh, this is what, this is, this is the, this is it to me, you know, (laughs) this is the, uh, that thing that, that McKenna was kind of talking about. And not this as in Thelema or this as in Sync or this as in anything, but just the, the very moment that we're in at any given time. So so maybe that that's a mm-hmm. synthesis of, of all those things, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. trying to realize how much this moment is really um, the sum of the past and the uh, fractals of the future and um, and just kind of dig on that. <laughs> you know, yeah. The, the, th- the thing that I got from reading, you know, 30 plus books of Aleister Crowley is the same thing I got from my near death ex- experience, um, last year with ayahuasca. So I don't know if I, if I told, I've told, I've talked about this on the show before. I don't know if I told you personally, but just quick, very quickly, I got like an intestinal knot and I couldn't swallow the medicine. I mean, I couldn't, digest the medicine and so i purged for 20 hours straight and i I felt like i had been shot in the stomach it was the most excruciating pain of my life and i went i spent uh close to five days in a hospital afterwards um wow after the you know because i was in the mountains and stuff and it was just extremely horrific the doctors told me i had you know just a a few hours to live if i didn't make it to the hospital um yeah because if you're if your intestines separate from your stomach that's it there's no, right. there's nothing you can do after that. And so that was close to happening. But the point being not to just be like, Hey, I had this crazy experience or whatever, but the thing that I couldn't, that I couldn't get over throughout the whole 20 hours that kept on coming up was, um, you know, and even more so after the fact, when I really knew what was, what actually was taking place was that, you know, there's this apparent line that's supposed to exist between inner energetic realms or abstractions or things that would be considered uh, more conceptually based in, in terms of that they don't actually exist in space and time uh, correspondences and what is actually taking place that is a, a very like what we would consider as more uh, substantial because it's obviously standing out in space. So coming out after the fact and I got people I had a kind of an issue with my well I don't need to go into my personal stuff but there was definitely like people were like, well, you know, you must have had something spiritually defunct that that was related to. I mean, people who do ceremony, they're, everything's about that. They're like, well, what is the real spiritual problem? Like, well, you know, on one level, sure, there's all kinds of stuff I'm dealing with. On another level, you know, when uh, where's the line? Because I, I mean, I grew when I was ten, I had fifteen stomach ulcers, and they say intestinal scarring is one of the reasons why this phenomenon can happen where you get your intestines twisted like that, you're not able to digest. And because it was a purgative, it just um, inflamed it. It made it worse uh, until I got an opioid, and that saved my life. Um, but because it was could cut, it could override it and allow me to relax. But the point being is that from all my study with, with Crowley, that's what I ended up coming to was that, wait a minute, the, the, the line is very blurred between energies and the way that what we would consider nominal existences or even abstractions uh, actually correspond to the real world and the real happenings. And the, the line is so, is so blurred. And all it is really for me, 
like at this point and what you know Thelema represents as far as I'm concerned is at least what the AA represents beyond the OTO and their deal but like the inner school you know is it's like it's it's like trying to penetrate the mysteries as directly as possible it seems that the most direct way is recognizing following correspondences and just being open to how they relate to to real life events uh whether in the past or whether now or rather predicted in the future you know and that 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 in and of itself is its own thing unto itself it's hard to explain but it is like there is the thing in itself beyond everything we have to say about it and uh it seems like that's what synchronicities allow you to delve into uh and explore without having to ultimately even take a position on it you know, because I don't even know what that was for or what that was about. People are like, oh, well, what's the purpose of this? On one level, I could just say it's a crazy fucking thing that happened to me that I had to deal with. On another level, it's like, well, yeah, the meaning in a, on a certain level is just self-evident. It's just furthering the thing that I'm already doing, which is, I don't know how to explain it really, but, you know. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess not going along the same trajectory, but I don't know enough about this to have an intelligent conversation. So I just want to explain to me, what did Crowley do? Crowley, excuse me. How did he change around the deck, the tarot deck? What did he do that was so revolutionary in terms of how he swapped stuff? My, uh, my video. Well, yeah, it formed the Vesica Pisces, right. With, uh, Patrick, because sure. that's pretty much it. I mean, that's its basis. And actually, if you go to my blog and you just scroll down to the first blog post, that's not the videos. All it is is the Saudi star issue. I just lay out the whole Saudi star issue from, um, is it, is that his position or is that your interpretation? No, no, that's his, I mean, you can see math. It's a, it's a very mathematical thing that he did and symbolic thing simultaneously. You just have to know which cards were switched and, and in what way, because he switched numbers and then he also switched letters mm-hmm. to do two different sets of cards. And, uh, it's all about the astrological symmetry that gets created because you, he, by doing what he did, you make the symmetry closer than it was before, where you, if you're laying the cards out against each other, which is a common tool in Kabbalah, it's like a very well-known thing to do. So you do the same thing with the alphabet, and you're looking at the alphabet when you're looking at that, those cards. And so you cut, you loop it back around to itself. You could take the whole alphabet and then reverse it and compare. That's a tool that's used. But you can also take the uh, 22 Hebrew letters, arrange them into a circle, and then find the correspondences. And so if you do the same thing that a traditional Kabbalist would do with the tarot deck, you'll find that with the with the old rules of the rider deck, you couldn't create a perfect astrological symmetry. Yet you, you can with his deck, with the way that he switched them. You just have to keep certain things in mind. There's certain qualifications that need to be understood. And so uh, those are those are laid out, actually, on, on my blog right now. I mean, But this is like a pretty intuitive thing that uh, well, I mean, it's a, it's a matter of taste, right? I mean, are you really going to get better results from this particular deck, or is it just something that, hey, this is the aesthetic that appeals to me? It has certain resonances or significances that this other deck doesn't have, or something. But I mean, no, 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 is, it, is very, it? Can you really take a serious position and say this is better than this one? Yeah. Why? Because because it's it's uh, in the actual symmetry of the thing, it is a finer expression. Yeah. Um, it just is. I mean, you'll see yeah, why. But how does that reflect in the divination? I mean, why would that have any connection to the divination itself? Okay. It well, how, what a, do you mean by divination? Like, well, that's, that's what, ter- that's what we're using tarot for. Are we right, but what does that even mean? Because one person's idea of divination is different from another. I'm talking about the standard projecting the future. 
projecting the future. Or because that's not even necessarily like this isn't even meant to be fortune telling as far as Crowley's concerned. His position was actually more similar to Jung, that he was like, you're just you're looking into the subconscious and you're seeing what's already there. You can affect changes, sure, but that's not that this is actually the the function of the of the thing to predict the future. Th- that's a very that's it, it's interesting. I mean, it's very appropriate that you'd say that because Crowley's qualification of what determines divination is much different than the general consensus amongst about what uh, that is meant to imply. That's why he had a falling out with the Golden Dawn. That's a major reason, you know. I don't know if you would agree with me, Kevin, but I'm kind of just spouting shit out here that is my understanding. I don't know how much you resonate with. But. I mean, yeah, I think if if I remember too, like I think Crowley actually ended up restoring the. Um, it was lust and adjustment that he swapped right for the. Uh, it was like the Paris working, I think. Yeah. Um, says, yeah. So. I'm pretty sure now I'd have to go back and figure this out, but I think the original Golden Dawn setup had it that way. Then it was changed, and then, yeah, I think him changing it back or, or his changes were not not met with agreement for, you know... And then I think Zadi is not the star uh, was something that he then changed later based on his understanding of the, the Kabbalistic, I guess... Well, what, what was it? It was the... It was Hay and Zadi were swapped because because Zadi is not the star because it's said in the Book of the Law. That's one of the funniest ones. I when I think it, that's in the Laws for All as well. When he goes into that, because it's just he is like, well, I guess I'm supposed to do this because this is what came through. But when you when you do that, it sets it sets things into balance, and it, it really does. And it, it's a whole mental um you know process to see why it is that that makes sense but it it actually all follows there's one issue though and that's the relationship no matter what you're not going to have a perfect symmetry ultimately because though every card with astrological associations has its opposite you know the the odd one out is uh gemini um in relationship to mars so it's the lovers in relationship to the tower throws the thing, the whole thing off. I mean, it, it throws itself off. It's it's the kink in the per, in the perfection because you have to have a kink because if it, everything was perfectly equilibrated, it wouldn't be what we're actually dealing with. Right, right. Because you need the distortion, and so that's the place of distortion is between the two ta- the uh, well, the tower. And Gemini, which you could recognize, like Gemini is literally the duality. So if you're approaching the tower through Gemini, through the lens of Gemini, you're looking at the duality of the tower, which is why I feel like the, the two towers reoccur in the deck with the, the death card and the moon card. Though they don't show up in Crowley's death card, they're there in the writer version. But, you know, you, I, I hope mm-hmm. you, you know what I'm pointing at, you know, because that's the significance yeah. of the golden dawn. It's because you're looking at the sun rising up between the two towers. And then that ties um, to the eleven uh, thing in the in the book of the law. You know what I'm talking about? The first section um, of the book of the law. He has something about um, oh, the the perfect and the perfect are eleven. That are one perfect. Uh, well, yeah, that's the idea of like one and one in one is eleven. But he actually has a reference. I'm actually right now on my computer. I have opened uh you know jim morrison's an american prayer in the book of the law which i don't know if you ever looked at that before i feel like i've told you before um, i think you did turn me on to that um 
oh, a little while ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah, this this shit blows my mind and it's it's hard to relay to somebody what this act like how this actually came out for me and the significance of it, but I mean, it's 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 pretty cr- it's pretty crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> yeah, like like I'm like looking at like this is it gets it's it, at certain points in an American prayer later on it starts to get silly. There's this whole deal where every um section of an American prayer has a dash in the original handwritten copy. And so I found the original handwritten copy and I was looking and I was like, "Huh, that's funny." And I counted the dashes and I realized how how close it was to the first section of the book of the law. And then I saw that uh the Doors last album, the the only commissioned album uh I don't know if you say commissioned but you know, Morrison gave the go ahead for a compilation album before he died. And it was titled 13, which is interesting because you'd say 13 is associated with death and all this stuff. And it was the reversal. The cover was the reversal of their initial album where he's in darkness with his face half turned with the other doors. And you have here he's in light with his face half turned. The door is walking away from him. And then if you uh-huh. turn it over, that you have Crowley's head in stone with the rest of the doors surrounding it with Jim Morrison with his hands in prayer over the head. And Whoa. so if, if you know the like... There's a, there's a technique that's used in Kabbalah traditionally where they'll weave different texts together. And they can either do it with a single word or they'll do it with whole sentences or they'll do it with sections. And so, and that's literally related to the weaving is supposed to be like fingers in prayer. And so I was like, huh, isn't that weird? An American prayer happens to be the same as the book of the law. And I just, I put them together and I, I feel like the result is, is absolutely mind blowing. But there's a certain point where it just like Morrison's words just make no sense on their own but make perfect sense in the context of what Crowley's saying. Right. That, right. that really gets me. So it's I like, when like, he's yeah, like, yeah, that sounds like I got to check that out again. Yeah. So he's like, expect him. To, this is Crowley he says, expect him not from the East nor the West nor for, uh, for from no ex- expected house cometh that child. Um, uh, all words are sacred and all prophets true, save only that they understand a little solve the first half of the equation, leave the second unattacked. Oh, but thou haste all in the clear light. And some, though not all, in the dark. And so you have this whole idea that the rituals are half revealed, half concealed. When he, this was the rationale for me to do this was this line where he says, right. "Solve the first half of the equation, leave the second unattacked." Because I, I, I read that and I was like, "Well, is he asking you to attack the first section of the book?" And so, so if you're if you align them in that way, where you weave them right after that, Morrison says, "He, he, cut your throat. Life is a joke." And so after you'll see why that, that becomes relevant. So he says, invoke me under the stars. Love is the law, love under will, nor let the fools mistake love for there are love and love. There is the dove and there is a serpent. Choose ye well. He, my prophet hath chosen knowing the law of the fortress and the great mystery of the house of God. The house of God also is the tower. It's the temple, right? So right. all these old letters in my book are right, but Saudi is not the star. This also is secret. My prophet shall reveal it to the wise. Okay. Now we have, Morrison, he goes, your wife's in a moat, the same boat, here comes the goat. And then he has, and you have Crowley again, he says, I give unimaginable joys on earth, certainty, not faith, while in life, upon death, peace, unutterable, rest, ecstasy, nor do I demand aught in sacrifice. And then Morrison, again, blood, 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 blood. They're making a joke of our universe. 
Huh. Nor do I demand odd and sacrifice. Blood, 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 right. blood. <laughs> ne- next line. I'm just going to read this for a minute if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it's trippy. Okay, so next line from Crowley. My in- incense is of resinous woods and gums, and there is no blood therein. It just said blood, 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 and there is no blood therein because of my hair, the trees of eternity. Okay, now we have Morrison. Matchbox, are you more real than me? I'll burn you and set you free. Wept bitter tears, excessive courtesy. I won't forget. And so right then he just said, my re- my incense is of resinous woods and gums. There's no blood after you just said blood because of my hair, the trees of eternity. So his hair is trees. So then right after that, you have Morrison saying, Matchbox, you more real than me? I'll burn you. He just said his hair, the trees of eternity. I'll burn you and set you free. Right. It's like, and so right. A- and then after that, you have my number is 11 from Crowley. And all their numbers are with us. The five pointed star with a circle in the middle. Are we talking about 9-11 or what? <laughs> right. You see what I mean? You have the Pentagon and then you have the, the two towers. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, you know, so at the end, I'm just skip ahead. At the end of that, he says, also, I have a secret glory for them that love me from Crowley. Next line from Morrison. A hot, sick lava flowed up, rustling and bubbling. The paper face, mirror mask. I love you, mirror. Next line from Crowley. But to love me is better than all things. If under the uh, if under the night stars in the desert thou presently you know uh, burnest my incense before me, invoking me with a pure heart, etc. You know, right? But it's mirror mask. I love you from Morrison. But to love me is better than all things. And right before that, I have a secret glory for them that love me. Mirror mask. You know, it's like right, give, right. Give me a fucking break, man. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I I've tripped out on this like. And and this is the thing with synchronicities is that sometimes it's hard to relay to people because it's so it's so personal in the process of how you get there. Right. And it seems like such an out there idea. You're like, really, Jim Morrison responding to Crowley? I don't know. I'm not asserting that this is this this is indeed what happened, but I don't I don't rule it out. I mean, I I really don't. It seems right. like a very um, it seems like it's asked for by Crowley in the first place. And this is right. the, the where does the point between nominal expression and, and phenomenal existence actually exist? You know, um, I don't really know. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah that, that's fascinating. I think that's awesome. Like, I love that um, that just approach to um, you know creating like that mashed up hermetic kind of um, perspective. You know, um, I think yeah, regardless of of what the uh, intent may have been there's really interesting correlations you know regardless too you know so yeah it's fucking weird <laughs> and that that's the thing for me too like with, with a lot of the sync um stuff that i follow is it i could boil it down to all resonating with like you know like life force and stuff and like that that appears to be for me like a uh an ongoing revelation you know Mm-hmm. So um, I think anything that we do um, personally to, you know, mix and mash and, and understand and synthesize and coagulate and all that kind of stuff, uh, anything we do kind of serves that, that, that process of reflection, you know, as we stay focused on whatever, you know, I don't know, whatever uh, it is that our consciousness focuses in on. <laughs> everything else gets imbued with that. So then we, through the, the mashup process, gain more and more, you know, infinite kind of perspective and understanding on a thing. 
And so I think that's the cool thing about sync and mysticism and, and divination is that nothing is really ruled out. And, you know, the, the personal proof can be there and then that personal proof becomes, um, you know, a certain kind of, it enters the pool of mystical proof for all to, to delve into and stuff, you know? So it's, it, it's all, it's all good stuff. You know, that's, that's what I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, your, um, your work is very, uh, inter interactive. I mean, that's the thing is that there's a, there's a malleability in your relationship with the thing and uh, how, how do you explore it? And it, it's weird the, where you actually have general rules. Like I couldn't just do this, like I had to make sure that I'm like going through the thing. I'm like, okay, these are the dashes. These are the these are the points of intersection. How is this going to going to play out? And so, it's still set up within parameters. It's not doing whatever you want. It's doing what the thing wants, and that's weird because you're like, what does <laughs> right. this want like to do? And how can I help it <laughs> right. do that? That's not like I'm just gonna. Oh, you, oh, all you did is you took this fucking text and you, you mixed it with that text. No, this text is written in a very specific way. This one's numbered and this one's sectioned out. Like, I didn't choose how that would play out. All I did was saw what happened when I <laughs> inserted the one into the other, you know? It's like, right. <laughs> and that's, that's a trip. It's like if you have the two, um, you know, uh, tetrahedrons of a star tetrahedron. And you put them together, and every every uh, you know vector is the same length. You don't. I mean, you're just putting them. You're you're mashing them together, but you don't expect that they're actually going to be the same length necessarily. I mean, you know if you know ahead of time, but like you know what I'm saying? Like, right, right. Yeah, actually, so everything's going to fit to this degree. Like that's just crazy. <laughs> right, um, right. You're one of those people that I always want to talk to more. You know, like I. Um, I'm like wow, you're really immersed in uh, Crowley's work, and I've been immersed in Crowley's stuff. You know, I know what that's yeah. about, so I'm always interested to talk to you and get feedback on certain things. Yeah, totally. Um, it's it's definitely like uh, exciting to talk, you know, with people who speak that 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 particular language, and um, I love uh, just diving into all the the critical approaches and the the different angles of everything and. Yeah, you're you're another person who like you know I've always when I listen to always record and stuff uh, I'm just like always like just super impressed you know like with with sync people too I mean obviously you've got your knowledge of Kabbalah and stuff and uh, and and the other things you're interested in but um it's it's great I'm always impressed like listening in so now I'm very excited to uh, yeah participate in the the ongoing dialogue you know totally yeah you were the first blog I ever got into. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's that's really like that means a lot. <laughs> like to 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 then appreciate your work, you know, and, and to to know that like that inspired you in some way is really awesome, you know. Yeah, that the fucking the the blue triangles of the Sri Yantra was it the or was it the red? I can't remember. Where there was there was a diagram that you came across where they were they were pointing out the amount of triangles in the Sri Yantra. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's real. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, I remember um, there's, it's hard to find like more on that particular um, that thing. So I have that that screenshot saved, and I feel like I've even had trouble digging up more on that that mandala. But yeah, I think it's that there's 42 
inverted triangles in that Sri Yantra. Mm. Um, and that's that, I mean, that, yeah, the last Mimsy where that pops up, that movie is like such a sink storm. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and for like a kid's movie, that's like totally like random. And I came across something that had a reference to it recently. I was watching some movie and somebody was like named Mimsy or something. And then they had like a bunny rabbit or something. I, Ooh. what the fuck was that? Yeah. Oh man. I, I was, I was trying to remember. I don't know. And then you got into this whole moonlighting tip. <laughs> which, right. I, which I watched yesterday, actually, because I, I told my my friend who, who's going to be here later tonight that I uh, I was going to have this guy on. He was like the first blog I ever got into. I was like, oh yeah, it's, I'm I'm stoked to talk to him. And uh, she was like, she's really into the blogs. And I was like, oh, you got to read this guy's blog. And so I sent her a link to your videos on YouTube. And then I went and I was like, oh wait a minute, I never saw fucking thin skin or membrane part four. <laughs> I didn't know that there was a part four. And so I was like, oh, one slid past me. And then the Moonlighting episode that you talked about was one right. that I had tripped out on. I hadn't watched the episode. I was looking up Moonlighting because – what's that guy's name? Oh, shit. Is it I David to... Patrick Kelly? No, I don't think so. Okay. Who, who's I, that? I thought you might mention him. Um, I'll have to go off on a little bit of it about this at some point because it's really exciting. Um He's uh, the dude I think I focus in on him a little bit in that fourth video. Um, he plays, uh, I think his name is, it's like Hornsley or Thornsley in um, Twin Peaks. And he's uh, he's in The Warriors. Uh, yeah, I recognize him. I know he's yeah, in. he's in that Moonlighting episode. He's the guy who's uh, chasing after um, the leprechaun woman. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm working on Film of Thin Skinner Membrane Part 5. It's also kind of part six because there's like a there's like a few of them floating around that kind of make one, but they're two. Mm. So I don't know which number it's going to be, but it's like uh, for me, it's crazy. It's another one of those things where like this episode focusing it on this guy's career, David Patrick Kelly. I'm I'm, I'm kind of leaking it right now. But like it's so incredible how much his career affirms this whole um, film as membrane. Uh, reflection of the underworld kind of vibe that uh, I've been digging into. Um, it's just crazy. I mean, I do, I've watched every, I've, I've going through this kind of a Bremelin ritual of, uh, of watching everything the dude's ever done, <laughs> which is like, yeah, uh, for a while I've just been like at the end of the night, I'll try to watch something of his as much as many nights of the week as I can and stuff. And it's crazy. Like I want, I went and watched Mad About You one night. It was really late, and I was like, "All right, I'll watch something <laughs> short." So, so I watched his. Uh, I watched thirty minutes of Mad About You for his two minute appearance, and I had just gotten a little bit let down because up until that point, everything in the dude's career that I watched had a, a pinpoint reference to the overall narrative that I'm tying him into. Like you know, five episodes in now, so I'm just getting super excited along the way because it's just like nonstop just hitting it and then this <laughs> mad about you episode just comes comes on and the woman gets out of the cab where he that he's driving and i was like dang like there was not a 42 no no rainbow there i just like there's nothing for me to work with in that one i'm gonna have to let this episode go and i'm almost gonna be done watching it but then the woman gets out of the cab and she goes into the elevator and for no reason at all this dude on the elevator in a suit is going bands of light bands of light <laughs> and like, you know, the rainbow is, is bands of light, you know, band, band with the spectrum. Totally. And, uh, so I, that just like flabbergasted me again. Like I always get amazed by 
the different ways that sinks can kind of, uh, you know, come into play and how they do it and stuff. And, uh, so I'm just like really pumped about this one that I'm, I'm going to be working on. I've been compiling all the information, but I haven't even started editing it yet, but, um, it's, it's super cool so far. It's like really, uh, a fun one. And, um, yeah, just that, that mad about you sync was just like, I knew it was going to be super cool from that point on. Cause I was like, that's just too ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel like it connected into the, the fatal thing. So, you know, F A T T A L the, um, Eastern star. It's the order of oh, the yeah, Eastern yeah. star and how they have that, the, the pentagram with the rainbow. And so I, right. I've, yeah, I've yeah. talked about it before on the show but there, okay, maybe it was, oh shit, was this it? Okay, so I, and I saw it and immediately I was like, oh, fatal attraction. And it's funny because every point of the star is meant to be a different um, character, female character from the Bible, because it's women's Freemasonry, right? Right. Um, but there was an actor that I was, con- I, was con- I was connecting with it and I was going down this whole fucking thing. I'm losing it. I'm not, this, this challenging thing about this kind of subject matter is I didn't, didn't retain everything, but the, I think that there is an episode of Moonlighting. I'd have to look it up. I think it was Moonlighting called Fetal Attraction. <laughs> and I, that guy was in it. And then he, he died shortly afterwards, I believe. And it was, there was this, yeah, this whole thing was tripping me out. I, okay, man, I don't know. Yeah, sorry, but, I kind of went off. No, off I'm, I'm doing a thing where I, I can't, I'm, uh, I can't find, uh, uh, information I'm looking for, but it's one of those things where it's like, if I had an hour or something, I could like get back to you and be like, "Oh, dude, check this out. Here it is." But yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was it was tri- it was tripping me out the, the way that this guy died. He used to be on the Halloween movies and stuff, and then it was like his last scene in a movie was so fucking creepy, and it was just him answering a phone with a stranger or whatever. And I'm not doing this fucking justice at all. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. Let me know. Sounds interesting. Um, okay, well, here's something, and this is this is the the meaning of it. At the end of the initiate ceremony, this is from Eastern Star. The signs, passes, grip, and symbols of the order are explained to the candidate, including the letters "fatal," which appear on some Eastern Star documents. These are an abbreviation of the Kabbalistic motto "fairest among the thousands, altogether lovely." The abbreviation "fatal" is said to remind the initiate that it would be fatal to um, to the character of any lady to disclose the secrets of the order. And so it's, it's, and so I was tripping out on that and snow white with the, put her heart in this box, you know, and she, the, the fairest of them all mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all because it's literally fairest among thousands altogether. Lovely is the meaning of the thing. And so, yeah, it was just, (laughs) so so, so here, here's some interesting stuff now too, that I'm, I'm thinking of too. Like, so you just, uh, revealed to me that, uh, Shekinah, um, is supposed to be the, uh, that the rainbow is, is it's, uh, like pure form as you were saying. Yeah. Uh, so then it's and interesting form, that this form that, in uh material expression, like the close, the closest approximation of Shakina is the rainbow. So that's amazing. Cause then it, the order of the Eastern star uses that rainbow and, and they themselves are that feminine, um, uh, you know, vessel for, for that, uh, Masonic yeah. divinity, you know, so, and then to go a little further in another interesting way is, uh, a really strong feminine archetype that, um, we see, uh, used in, 
I, I'm pretty sure their symbolism and, and just the, the feminine uh, like mysteries in general is, you know, uh, Lady Justice and Mott. So fairest as in, you know, the balanced uh, scales of Mott. So there's an interesting scales 42 rainbow connection there through that whole order of the Eastern Star, Shekinah, fair and balanced. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I, I, I actually take the um, Snow White thing uh, very literally because the the meaning of of Snow White in the first place. So, you know, that when in this in the in the Disney film of Snow White when the queen takes out the box and says I want you to bring her my heart in this box, she's surrounded by um uh flowing garments from above that all have it's blue with white stars all over it. So she's surrounded by these pentagrams and the the box that she hands her actually has a a heart on the front with a sword through it. And if you know, you know, uh, the tarot, you, you probably would, you know, you'd think maybe the ace of swords, uh, but the, the three of swords actually pictures the three, the three swords going through the heart. And I was looking at that explained. It was the idea is that the, the sword is a symbol of intuition. So in a way, it's pretty straightforward or right. not intuition, excuse me, the intellect. So you'd say the sheath of, of the airplane, right? So the plane of air, you know, the uh-huh, air, right. air, you know, cause the sword, the, the, that suit relates to air. But that it's literally when the concept is, has been proven. So if you're spinning around with a concept and then it's like, wait a minute, no, this is actually hitting a reality. It's as if the heart, the, the, the thought, which is the sword, is actually going, it's piercing the heart. Right. <clears throat> I mean, that's no longer just a concept because it's been put to the test. And so for her to do that, and she is like the, the opposite of the Snow White. So you have, and there, there are two roses, right? That's the idea. I mean, Shakina was related to a, a rose among the thorns. You say a flower among the thorns, and people say she's a lily, but lilies don't have thorns, so she's she's become equated with the rose. So she has been for freaking ever, which is why the Virgin Mary is associated with the rose. Um, but yeah, it's just and and then the rose is the heart in Rosicrucianism, as we know, and then there's the weighing of the heart. So that's it's just a, it's just a very profound kind of thing in a in a right, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, just the uh, that that whole yeah identification of the uh, um you know the intellect with duality you know uh, Mercury uh, being the alchemical symbol of kind of consciousness itself uh, in some sense you know mm-hmm. um, so yeah so that that's really interesting there that um that perspective on that I think that that's cool too like the the intellect penetrating the heart, it's kind of like the squaring of the circle kind of thing, you know, like the intellect has its kind of limitations and it's, it's, uh, binary boundaries, you know, but, um, you know, the heart and the intuition and the imagination and stuff. Uh, have you heard of Joseph Chilton Pierce? No. He wrote a book called heart mind matrix where he's basically, he, puts forth the scientific argument of basically what you're saying, that connection between the intellect and the heart. And so forever it's been folk wisdom, okay, your heart or your gut instinct or whatever. Actually what certain evidence points to is that the heart and the mind are part of, yeah, kind of a larger intellect construct as far as the physiological body goes. I mean, obviously there's a non-local element to the conscious experience, but as far as what 
is registered in the body, what's processed in the body, how we synthesize information, what we're perceptive to, receptive to, so on and so forth. The heart actually, well, not only do they start out in the embryo in the same sort of sac, and then they separate, the brain gravitates towards the head, and then the heart stays where it is, but they start out as a unity and become a dyad. Right, and right. so they're always connected in that sense that they had the same origin or so well are always entangled in some deep quantum sense. But uh, as far as sensations are felt, I mean, uh, before mm, certain conscious decisions are made or so on, you know, a lot of the research is focused on the unconscious mind and the unconscious is registering things before things happen or so on and so forth. But there's just as much good evidence that points to the heart registering all sorts of information and processing before we take our actions as well, as far as like our senses go and the information we do take in. So anyway, just to kind of go on a short little tangent there, I'm sure I brought that up at one point or another, but I like that, at least for me, whenever I'm trying to say, okay, I kind of get this sense is there, we can always draw on natural history and just anecdotal stuff, but I'm always interested, I guess, as a Westerner to know what's been done in a lab, what's been done in a more, I guess, even if magic, if we think of it as a methodology, at least there's some rigor to it. I mean, what kind of rigor has been applied to this question beyond just people talking about it, you know, and intellectualizing about it. So I guess uh, that's why my mind is drawn there. But anyway, to close out, yeah. 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 Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's always a challenging thing on the show when I'm trying to like, you know, kind of stealthily look up information on things that I'm wanting feedback or understanding on simultaneously while talking, you know? Right. But, yeah, it's like trying to dig through and find shit when I should just put that aside and just fucking have a conversation. (laughs) Well, well, it's in the flow of the camera. You want to be like, oh, yeah, there's this part that might factor in. It's just very challenging when you're you're dealing with... um, the kind of stuff that we're dealing with you know yeah you can't keep everything in your head i mean one of the best lessons i learned from one of my teachers was it's like you don't have to remember everything because a you either have books that you can always reference or b you get the fucking internet and it's just like that's the truth of the matter so you should demand a certain amount of excellence out of yourself in terms of remembering what you can and being able to pull stuff just out of your mind but i try to give myself a break (laughs) sometimes you gotta look shit up and sometimes it is relevant so when you're trying to do it in the moment yeah it's challenging but the impetus to do it makes perfect sense. And just the fact that you need to also makes perfect sense because just our mind is so limited when you really think about it. So little is conscious. And not only that, but it's just like uh, our filters are so tight. The mind can both have all this information in it, but we have so little access to it. It's fascinating. So that's why I like, I'm not super deep into magic or anything, but I like the, the premise of ritual and what have you opening up that channel between whatever our two minds oh okay i got it it was fucking donald pleasance so you guys know who donald pleasance was uh no i'm gonna look him up yeah he he (laughs) so so if if patrick was on right now by by the way speaking of which john patrick is probably gonna be on the show every so often just as like same offer that i posed to jason barrera which i Mm wish i wish and it would be nice if he was able to. Uh, I think it, it may, his computer might make it a little challenging, but I'm like, you can come on the show any freaking time, you know, no matter what. Because yeah. dealing with somebody that's like a full-on walking encyclopedia, 
It's like <laughs> right. they might as well be here for what we're trying to do. But yeah. Patrick has this whole whole awesome thing with Donald Pleasance. He could probably go off on him for a while. But his final film was called Fatal Frames. And then I, f- I found that really interesting. That's really eerie the way that it, it ends, you know, um, 1996. Did a lot of, uh, he had a lot of correspondence with the Beatles. He, in fact, would produce songs with, with uh, was it Ringo or something? And he sang a song on the Sgt. Pepper's movie. And he was just like, uh, and the Ringo, uh, he was included on um, a couple different Beatles collages with albums and stuff and different things that they made or whatever. It's just a very, oh, I know who you're talking about. He, was, now, he yeah. was in Sharon Tate's debut film um, as like a, as like a satanic priest kind of guy centering around the King kill ritual. That movie is about the golden bow. That's her first movie. And she's right there with Donald Pleasance, who you just, you'd expect. But yeah, I believe, <laughs> I think it's him. I think this is the thing is that, is that his final film was called Fatal Frames that he died during. And then he, he, he's in a fetal attraction uh, episode of Moonlighting. <laughs> See, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, in um, Escape from New York, too. I just saw uh, on IMDb there. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in a, he's in a lot of stuff. But, uh, yeah, he, he is a fucking sink gold mine. Speaking of, like you were saying with this other character you've been looking, you've been looking at his whole career. Um, yeah, Donald Pleasance is just one of those guys that is, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna geek out on sink, man. This <laughs> is fucking endless, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm skipping through here. There's some, definitely some interesting, uh, titles. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's been in so many freaking things, so that makes it <laughs> easier. But I was trying to, I guess, yeah. TV is just included. So, oh yeah, his first movie called The Dibbick. <laughs> you get it? You know, Dibbick is a, you know, uh, that's that uh, directly related to the Gollum. They right. might as well have called it the Gollum. I mean, that's the thing. You have like a Dibbit Dibbick in a box. Like a- it's like a yeah, a, a demon container thing, right? Yeah. So if you've seen, <coughs> well, it's not the container, but it's the, it's the thing in itself, right? So, or I guess you could say it's a container because it's the body, right, um, being utilized. But uh, that's what you'll see in um, a serious man, uh, the same guys who did like the Big Lebowski and whatever, whatever, whatever the Coen Brothers. So <coughs> one of their mo- more recent films, which is about Kabbalah. Admittedly, I mean, it's what they say, that's what it is, and they, they play with Gamatria in it directly, where they're like, this guy is looking at Gamatria, and it's all like, he's trying to, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen which, this? Which movie is that? A Serious Man. Uh, no, that, no. Yeah, dude, the fucking Coen brothers made a Kabbalah movie, and it starts no way. in 16th century with like a rabbi, and then this Dybbuk shows up. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck? And then it's like the whole, most of the soundtrack is like uh, Jefferson Airplane from uh, Surrealistic Pillow and stuff. And it's um, just, oh, no way. That's crazy. It's, it's a 60, it's a Jewish community in the 60s. That's it's serious, man. Like, like you know, serious. Like, yeah, that's the joke. Because yeah. everyone trips out. with Not everyone, but us weirdos. You know, we trip out on the Coen <laughs> Brothers in serious. In the first right. place, we were already looking at that correspondence with nobody fucks with a Jesus. Eight-year-olds, dude. You get it? You know, <laughs> he represents the fucking church. That's the whole point. And he's a pervert. So, you know what I'm saying? And then he's the box of moonlight. He's, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like that actor who is the Jesus. What's his fucking name? 
In, in the Big oh, Lebowski? Yeah. I forget. Oh, no, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, there's Box of Moonlight was like one of his big, for, first big movies, I guess, or it's up there, yeah. Huh. Uh, <laughs> John Totoro, I think, right? Yeah, John Totoro, Box of Moonlight, 1997, huh? Yeah, that's... <laughs> I think I might have to stay up late and watch A Serious Man tonight now. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. That, that, yeah, that's definitely recommended for sure. Super, super classic. But yeah, I was trying. So that, that's wacky, yeah. So interestingly, oh no, that's Fatal Frames was 1996. Box of Moonlight was 1997. All right, I'm such a fucking weirdo. I'm like Moonlight, Box of Moonlight. Ooh. Oh no, yeah. I, I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking like the uh, the whole demon box theme of um, you know that kind of connection between the the Cleefoth and the 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 night side of the tree of life um, and there being a, some kind of a, you know, uh, a connection between the, the lunar, uh, oh. the lunar quality and, uh, dude, totally. The Vata quality, you know? Yeah. The, the cleats are literally the demunation of the moon. They are the dark side of the moon. That is how they're described in the Zohar. And so that's why I find it really interesting whenever you're, you're dealing with, um, you know, moon, moon symbolism, you want to look at the specifics of, of how it's being communicated for that reason. Oh, funny, dude. John Turturro's name in Box of Moonlight is Al, A-L, Fountain. Oh, wow. He's <laughs> the fountain of L. <laughs> the fountain of, of Bina. Bina is the fountain. That is so fucking trippy. And then he's in the fucking other one. See, that's the thing, dude. This is how this works. So fucking John Turturro... He's in the um, Barton Fink as the main character who's handed the box by fucking uh, Walter, uh, John Goodman. Uh Uh-huh. He's the fucking Jesus in purple because purple's the color of Sirius. Even if you look behind in – so when he takes out the dog, when Walter takes out the dog when they're in the bowling alley in the Big Lebowski, if you look behind him, you'll see a ball that says, like, holy star. Uh Uh-huh. And I haven't seen I haven't seen the movie I haven't seen Barton Fink, but the poster it's like he basically looks just like Harry Potter. He's got like a thunderbolt on his forehead. <laughs> it's I mean, there's another Jesus oh, dude. So yeah, and I guess uh, did did you mention this? There's a John Totoro uh, film called The Moon and the Sun. I'm not sure if you mentioned that. No, I but, didn't mention that. I'm, I'm just, I'm just following this as I'm going right now. I didn't right, yeah. about Box of Moonlight until I was like, wait a minute, that's <laughs> fucking weird. Yeah, I wonder what that is. Jesus. Oh yeah, and then he's in Secret Window too. Oh shit, which is hey, and that's the whole thing is that Saudi is not the star. I tripped out on that. Yes, yeah, people uh-huh. think sometimes, man. Holy fuck! And then the fact that he put Johnny Depp in it, right? I think around the same time as he did the Ninth Gate. Which is about (laughs) the same premise. Because you have the switch. Secret window. Yeah, because Saudi is not the star means that it's hay. So he switched hay with Saudi. Hay is the window. Yud hay vav hay is a window and another window, right? So you have the two windows or the two females. So you have the mother and the daughter. Oh, Um, interesting. Which are the moon. Right. And this is the moon and the sun. And the title, it's like the sun in terms of a familial sense. And, uh, John Turturro plays the sun, so there's that Christ connection, too. Oh, good. <laughs> Are you saying secret window or secret passage? Secret window. 
He was. He, oh, he was in both. He was in a movie called Secret Passage, and he was a movie in Secret Window. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Oh, and oh yeah, and he's like the like creepy butler in Mr. Deeds too. I don't know. That's the just... same year. He did Secret <laughs> oh, Window, no Secret Passage, the same Dude. year. And he's the voice of Monkey Bone in Monkey Bone. Oh fuck, dude! That that whole movie is about the other side, and then it came out in two thousand one. So you think about the monkey with the bone in two thousand one. Oh, totally. <laughs> oh man, totally. It <laughs> was in fucking uh, a TV movie called Monday Night Mayhem, Moonday Mo- Night Mayhem. Another moon reference, <laughs> and the true. Moon Key, Moon Key. Remember the Jake Kota video? Yeah. Um, moon Key. That's the name of it. It's one of my right. favorite sync videos of all time, actually. Oh, oh yeah, that's a great one. Oh, he was in Summer of Sam. He was the fucking... He was fucking Harvey <laughs> in Summer of Sam. Dude, you don't even know. Oh, my God. That's weird. Okay. So, just to give you, you, you a context right now, I fucking... God. I had a note the Sorry. other night. I got this urge to watch Summer of Sam, which I haven't seen since it, like, came out, which was in fucking, like, 1999, right? So, I'm like... Uh, and I was like, I remember that being a really good movie with fucking John Leguizamo or whatever. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to torrent it, which, you know, I only want to do if I, I only do if I really want to see a movie, you know? Right. And, like, I was like, I'm I'm in the process of doing that. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to fucking look up some Peter Lavinda video just to watch him do some talk or whatever. I don't know if you know who Peter Lavinda is, but he's he's a very interesting researcher guy who goes into some very fucking territory with the fucking CIA and Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. And all kinds of uh, everywhere. He goes all over the place. But I'd never heard him fucking talk about the son of Sam before. And like I was like tripping out on Sam cuz yes, you know, Sam Samiel, you know, and the the Kleepoat, that's the head of the Kleepoat other than Lilith, you know. And so I was like tripping out on that summer of Sam weird. And didn't he get instructions to kill my dog? Oh fuck serious. And like, wasn't the fucking dog's name Harvey? Oh fuck serious. And so I'm like, cause Harvey, you remember like with uh, Robert Anton Wilson, he, right. he, it was because of fucking Harvey. Cause it was Mr. Wilson. That's the fucking tall bunny rabbit, which was contacting him from Sirius. And then when he looked it up in the library, it said, hello, Mr. Wilson, which is a reference to Harvey, the fucking dog, that was supposed the thousand year old dog that told fucking the son of Sam, the postal worker, to go postal. That right. was, the fucking dog's name was Harvey. Oh and man, it's a dog. True. So it's like serious, serious. So I'm watching this fucking Peter Lavinda thing, and he just starts going off about the about the son of Sam, which I'm not expecting. I happen to be downloading fucking Summer Sam movie, and then he he's talking about this fucking cult. Was it the Process Church or whatever? Um, that was basically this weird religious cult in New York City during that time, and he was giving evidence for the the killings that were equated with Kaczynski of actually of being from this cult, and that he only killed like a couple people, and yet they put it all on him, uh-huh. and that it was actually these people were doing it for all these other reasons, and it was their ritualistic killings, and the forty four killer, and it, and then you and then you have this. Spike Lee movie comes out that's pointing out the synchron the ridiculous synchronicities of that of of that happening because you had fucking um was it Reggie Watt? No, 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 not Reggie. <laughs> that was a Floydian stuff. Reggie um the the New York Yankee. What's his name? Reggie Jesus, I'm losing it. Number 44. Jackson. Yeah, Reggie fucking Jackson. Thank you. I'm just this is, you know, and he was the, he was the 44 caliber killer and then you had Mr. 44 
was like, you know, and then they were like, oh, it's fucking, there was a rumor at the time that Reggie Jackson was actually the, the 44 caliber killer, um, which is really weird, but it was because of the, the whole movie is, is based around, <laughs> around people mistaking synchronicity because they're running with the clues and then they're killing based off the, the little information they have, but it's all because of these correspondences that they're making. And they're like, oh, this is this guy or fucking whatever. I don't know if you've seen it, but isn't that fucking weird? Like, he would be the voice of the dog that's Harvey the Black Dog that tells him the thing. He gets the message from the dog in the same way that Robert Anton Wilson got a message from the fucking rabbit. But the dog happens to be named Harvey. You're fucking killing me. All right. Yeah, so I I also just went a little further down IMDb on that, and I found that Totoro, um, I guess he directed this movie called Illuminata. And uh, I just posted a picture of the cover uh, in the the message chat thing we have here. It's crazy. It's it's the moon, and it's like a woman going up this staircase. And uh, there's one pillar, and it's just like it, the symbolism and like the Shekinah resonance and stuff is all just so like I don't know. It's so strange to just be looking at like at the end of the conversation, like after all of our conversation, you know? Yeah, I'm uh, trying to. There's eight. Eight people on the left, eight nodal points on the left. Right? Am I counting oh, right? Yeah, right? And then moon yeah. on the top? Okay. I don't know. Right. I, I downloaded this new version of Skype, and every time people put stuff up, I forget. I don't see where to find them again, so I don't know where it went. Because <clears throat> if I just go, whatever, I'm, I'm having challenges seeing it. <clears throat> okay, might be able to... This might be it. Oh, there we go. Okay, cool. Yeah, I can see it. Funny, yeah, this. Illuminatus. <laughs> oh, so this is just from IMDb. Yeah, yeah. Over here. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, that, that guy's got quite the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a different image. Is it 2014? There's another um, Illuminatus. Oh, no, it's Illuminata, like uh, with Illuminata. A yeah, yeah. If that's funny, that. Yeah, that that is totally it, dude. That is a tracing board, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're looking at a tracing board. Yeah, it's called Illuminata, and it's and that, it's a stairway to Sirius, but it looks like it's going to the moon because a right. stairway actually occurs on the <clears throat> middle pillar, right? But there's actually a pillar off to the side, even. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find it really interesting looking here in 1996. John Detura did Box of Moonlight, and right afterwards you have Grace of My Heart. So he and I was just fucking going off about take her heart and put it in the box. Right. But the heart <laughs> yeah. is equated with the moon because it's the Bina. And so that that's really interesting. Right, yeah. Huh. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. <clears throat> yeah, everything is this it's a it's a sink gold mine. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well maybe we should I don't know. What do you I'm pretty, I mean, I'm tired. I've been tired, so I'm Yeah, yeah. Well, fine. this is this has been awesome. I'd love to talk to you again. Um, we should have you on more often. I think that's the plan, so we'll see what we can do. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin, yeah, thanks a lot, man. Yeah. And I'm sorry uh, I was late again, but I appreciate you staying out late. Oh, totally. It's been a lot of fun, man. Like, I'm really uh, looking forward to continuing talking with you guys and stuff. It's been fun. Yeah, definitely.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.